0: So as we turn to God's word together, as I mentioned, as we've read together, we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 26 through to verse 40. Um, and as we do that, it would be helpful for you to have a copy of God's word there um, to, to work your way through it with us as we do that. But um, maybe as you're finding that again or, or picking that uh, that piece of scripture up, I wonder wonder how you are at taking directions. Maybe you're someone who, who completely and utterly relies on satnav when you're in the car. Remember when we could do that? or just even walking down the street through town when, when we can. Uh, you'd be following the little blue dot on your phone, making sure you got to your destination in the most effective way possible. Um, certainly, I know when I'm using satnav, I, I I find it almost like a personal challenge to see if I can beat the estimated time that the satnav tells me it's going to take me to travel. Legally, of course. But it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm trusting this piece of technology to get me to where I've asked it to go. It has access to traffic info, to quickest routes, to alternatives if things go badly. It's the clever machine, and I'm relying upon it, yet I still think, 24 minutes? I could do it in 22, and so this silly little race in my head begins. But I wonder if you've ever had a journey, whether you were following SatNav or not, which felt like you went the long way round to get somewhere. You're not quite sure why you feel that, but it just seems like there should have been a more straightforward way to get from A to B, rather than going by C, D, E and F. Well, if you were to look at a map of Philip's journey through Acts 8, I I think it would seem like a mighty inconvenient way to get from where he started to where he ends up. Let me show you what most people agree was his journey through this chapter. And so chapter 8 begins in Jerusalem here. Uh, That was the encounter. And then last week, sorry, we looked at the encounter in Samaria. Most people believe that that, uh, Philip went to the city, also called Samaria, in the region of Samaria. And then from there, what we've read today is that Philip was then directed back towards Jerusalem to join up with the road that goes between Jerusalem and Gaza. Um, We assume that he traveled along that road, but we're not exactly sure how long. Certainly the Ethiopian eunuch would have been traveling to Gaza and beyond. So it's possible that Philip went the whole way. But then we're told towards the end of the the time that Philip appears in Azotus and then travels all the way back up the coast to Caesarea. It seems like a certainly, when you think of his start point and his end point, uh, he starts in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3 and 4. Then he goes to Samaria, then back down this way and up the coast. If he had just gone from Jerusalem to Samaria to Caesarea, that seems like a simple, straightforward way. If we were planning this journey that started in Jerusalem, included Samaria and ended in Caesarea, I'm not sure we would have included all of this big loop. It certainly wouldn't have been the way a would have taken him. But in some ways, the fact that it doesn't make sense to us, I, I think is part of the point. You see, today we're continuing to think about the church on the move, as we see the first the first Christians spread from Jerusalem with their message of the good news of Jesus into Judea and Samaria. And one of the many things I think that these verses today show us is that it is abundantly clear that it was God who was on the move through his church. The movement of the church from Jerusalem outward was orchestrated by God. It wasn't a cleverly designed man-made strategy as if someone was growing a business and setting up a franchise network. No, the church was on the move. In the way that God had directed, the way that God had empowered, indeed the way that God had promised. Do you remember back in Acts 1 verse 8 where Jesus says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus speaks these words to his first apostles, it feels like a command, but also a promise. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. And these words evoke almost that same similar great assurance as we see in Matthew sixteen, eighteen, when Jesus again talking to his disciples said, I will build my church. J- Jesus will build his church. His disciples will receive power. They will be his witnesses, and all because God is at work in his world through his people working through his word and his spirit. God is at work in his world, through his people, by his word and his spirit. And so yes, in these chapters in the book of Acts, we see that the church is on the move, but let's never lose sight that the movement that is going on is being orchestrated by our powerful and sovereign Father God. And as we come to look at This account in in Acts 8, the second half of Acts 8 in more detail. The the first thing that I want to point out uh, is the the life-changing truth found right in the middle of it. and, And that is, of course, the message of Jesus. So we'll come back to this message later in Isaiah that the eunuch is reading whenever we come to reflect on communion. But for now, let's appreciate the wonderful message that Jesus brought about this man's salvation. So tucked right in the middle of this encounter we see these verses from Isaiah speaking to us so clearly about Jesus. And so here we read, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And we find out, of course, the eunuch doesn't know who the prophet is speaking about, but Philip did. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. The sacrificial lamb who gave himself for the sins of the world so that the penalty of our sin might be dealt with in full. That's what Isaiah was speaking of. The the humiliation language, the the sacrificial language. This is Jesus. This is what Christians mean by Jesus being our atoning sacrifice. He, He died in our place. We sang about this earlier. He took the penalty of the sin that was ours to pay. And I know we've spoken about this quite a lot recently, but this is so central to our message that we can never overstate this. Jesus died on our behalf so that the penalty that you and I deserve to pay as a result of our sin is dealt with by him. We didn't deserve it. We don't have to earn it. It's the gift of the grace of God. And it's this message which is the only way for our hearts to be made right before god do you remember peter and simon having that discussion last week when peter said to simon verse 21 your heart is not right before god this message is the only way that your heart can be made right before god when we believe this message this wonderful message of of the atoning sacrifice of jesus we we repent of our sins we commit our lives to following him and as we do our sins are, are wiped out And so we can then approach God's throne and be welcomed into his holy presence, both now and for all eternity. This is the good news about Jesus that Philip explains to the eunuch. And it is the good news that we still have the joy and the privilege and the responsibility to share with those that we interact with too. And so we would do well. I think, to regularly marvel at this good news about Jesus. And as I said, we're going to do that later as we gather for communion. But that's the central message in this story, in this account. But for the rest of our time, we're going to turn to almost the sections around that passage from Isaiah. And we're going to see this encounter that Philip had with the Ethiopian eunuch. And what I think we're going to see today is that God was at work In his world, through his people, who were open and obedient. Open and obedient to him. Open to his leading, open to his word, open to his spirit, and obedient to whatever he said. And the result of that was spiritual fruit for God's kingdom, the building of God's church. You see, it was this openness and obedience which led Philip on that seemingly strange journey that we looked at right at the start. He was open to where God led him and he was obedient to follow. And the eunuch, well, he was open to hearing God in his word and obedient in his response to that word. And so the challenge and the encouragement from these verses today is that God is still on the move in and through his church. And therefore, are are we living lives that are open and obedient to him? By way of of introduction to these two men, we we met Philip in more detail last week. We saw him as one of the disciples of Jesus. Indeed, he was a deacon in the Jerusalem church. We see that from Acts chapter 6. And then we see him leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution that followed Stephen's death. Uh, Philip, as we've talked about already, he headed north into Samaria. He preached the good news of Jesus there. And we're told that many people believed. And Philip was then joined by some of the Jerusalem apostles who who welcomed the Samaritan Christians into that Christian community, despite years of division between the Jews and the Samaritan people. It's It's a powerful encounter. And now we see Philip being directed south back through Jerusalem to go to the road that leads to Gaza. And it's on that road that he encounters the eunuch and has this remarkable exchange that we read about here. And to introduce the eunuch, well, we're actually not told a great deal of detail about him but what we are told is significant. Firstly, the term eunuch could be used to describe someone who, who was an important court official, and that would correlate here with hearing him as in his role as the treasurer. However, when we see the term being used elsewhere in scripture, it also relates to someone who was emasculated, either by choice or by circumstance. Uh, elsewhere, the term relates to someone who, who, who was living a celibate life. Uh, now, we're not told the exact details of this man's account and why he's given that title, Although, as I mentioned, I think because we're given the details of his official role, that seems the most likely use of the title here. However we think about that, one of the reasons it's significant that we know him to be a eunuch is that being so would mean that he couldn't be a full member of the Israelite people. So eunuchs were excluded from entering the temple, engaging fully in ceremonial life. We read about that in Deuteronomy 23. And so the fact that this man had traveled an incredibly long way to worship in Jerusalem shows that he was a deeply religious man. He was a devout man, but he was not a full member of the Israelite community. And indeed, that that could actually be one of the the reasons why we find him reading the prophet Isaiah. Because in Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, we see Isaiah prophesying about the day that eunuchs would be fully welcomed and accepted by God himself though, this man, he was on the fringes, not fully accepted by God's people until this encounter with Philip, where all of that was going to change. So we meet Philip, we meet the eunuch, but let's not forget the other character who is intimately involved in this encounter. You see, we see Philip, we see the eunuch, but we also see God's involvement here. Just looking at a couple of quick examples, we see God speaks and he speaks through his spirit. In verse 26, we see an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road. In verse 29, the spirit told Philip, God speaks in this encounter and he speaks directly. But he also speaks through his word. Remember in verse 32 that this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. So God is speaking to the eunuch through his word. And then in verse 35, Philip, beginning with that very passage of scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. So God is speaking through his spirit. He's speaking through his word. And then we see God acting very directly. In verse 39, we're told that the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The the, the verb has that connotation of snatching. Uh, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, we're then told. So the spirit takes Philip away. We're not told how. We're not told how immediate that was. We don't know how that happened, but the spirit of God is actively involved. And so the the activity of God is in such apparent ways It surely it makes us marvel. I mean, to think that God, the the majestic, creator, holy, all-knowing God, would be so interested and, and so loving that he would go to such lengths to orchestrate all of these events so that this eunuch would be shown his incredible message of salvation. It may even seem like a lot of effort to go for just one man, but but think about what this shows of the nature of God, that he is so personal in his care for us. He He's so powerful in his sovereign control. He is so faithful to his promises. And so he can, he can bring Philip to the man's chariot side. He can ensure that the eunuch is, is reading this portion of Isaiah, giving Philip the opportunity to engage in discussion. He, he can speak to an individual's heart through his word. He can Place this conversation near a body of water so that the eunuch could be baptised. His care and his control is so evident here and it should lead us to marvel at his care and his love and his ability. And so we have the three characters. The characters of Philip, the eunuch, and of course God himself orchestrating this all. But as I mentioned earlier, for the rest of our time, we're going to turn our attention to Philip and the eunuch, who in different ways, show themselves to be open and obedient open and obedient and so firstly let's look at Philip Uh, and we've already spoken of God's leading of Philip that, that very direct and clear guidance given to him verse 26 and the angel of the Lord said to Philip go to the south road and again in verse 29 the spirit told Philip go to that chariot but what's interesting is then the response of Philip to those very clear directions So we see in the verses that follow an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the road that goes from uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza and Philip. So he started out. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. I mean, just look at those reactions. God said Philip did go here. So he went go there. So he ran. It's a remarkable example of openness and obedience. You see, Philip had to be open to God's leading in the first place. He had to be attentive to what the voice of God may have been leading him to do. And so when Philip received the words from the Lord, he was ready and willing to act. And, and remember when we began this morning by tracking that journey of Philip in this chapter, some of the directions that God gave were, were costly in terms of time and energy and effort. But what amazes me is we don't get any sense of hesitation from Philip in these words. In fact, we see the opposite. We see this enthusiastic willingness to drop everything and go. We see openness. We see obedience. And maybe we read accounts like these and and assume that it was easier then. It seems that God's prompting seems so much clearer, so much more straightforward. Go to the south road. Well, no problem. I know where that is. I know how to get there. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Can do. I see the chariot. I can stick close. And so maybe we read these words and think that Philip had it easier than sometimes we have. But one of the things I think that we would look for in directions like that would be a reason why we should. But Philip isn't given much of a reason why he should do those things. Philip isn't told at the outset of this encounter that he should go to the south road because he will meet a eunuch and explain God's salvation plan to that eunuch, baptize that eunuch. He's not told any of that information. No, he's told to go. He's told to stick by the chariot. And Philip obeys those directives without any assurance of why he should. He simply and profoundly had confidence that God was speaking, therefore he should follow. And I don't know about you, I find that a an almost enviable level of openness and obedience. It's it's certainly a challenging one for those of us who follow Jesus today. You see, this is this is one of those times when we see scripture held up almost like a mirror. Where we see our lives reflected back at ourselves. And and when that happens we often find ourselves confronted by what is lacking in our life or in our faith. And and there is a helpful and healthy rebuke. There there, there is a a necessary almost call to repentance there. So it might be important for for some of us to, to rightly repent and confess of our own lack of openness and obedience. But this morning I also want to see this amazing example of Philip. And not leave us feeling deflated or defeated. Because actually, what this account shows us is what is possible for our lives when we do live with that level of openness and obedience that God invites us to. You see, Philip's example doesn't just show us how we should live, it shows us the opportunities that God may have for us when we do live with that same level of devotion and dedication, that same level of openness and obedience. In other words, as we look at Philip's example this morning, uh, let's allow us, let's allow it and let's allow his example to drive us to a a greater level of surrender to Jesus. A greater willingness to drop everything and follow him. A greater devotion to the people around us that will lead us to serve them with the gospel and think less about our own reputations. See, that's the example of Philip in these verses. We, We see him being open and obedient to what God is calling him to do. And we see remarkable things happen in God's name, by his spirit, for his kingdom. But it it doesn't stop there. See, we shouldn't have the idea or the impression that, that Philip is some kind of mindless puppet in someone else's story. Philip was open and obedient. Yes, absolutely. But he was also proactive and he was also attentive to the people around him. Just look at these words in verse 30, when Philip ran to the chariot, and he heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet. See, Philip had obeyed God, was staying close to the chariot, and then we get the impression that he was so attentively listening and watching out for what to do next that he remained open. So he listens and he actively listens. And and because most people in those days read aloud, it's no surprise that Philip can hear what the eunuch is reading. But that doesn't stay. But Philip doesn't stay at the side of the chariot. And wait, he proactively reaches out. So at the end of this verse, we see that he ran to the chariot. He heard the man reading and then he asks, do you understand what you're reading? Philip Philip engages the eunuch where he is and with what he's doing. And he asks a probing question in response to the eunuch invites Philip to join him and we read in verse 35 Philip began with that passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus and so Philip has this wonderful experience of sharing the good news of Jesus with the eunuch helping him to see who Jesus is what he's done which leads the eunuch to believing and wanting to be baptized it's a joyous scene all because Philip was open and obedient and then willing to be used where he was And engaging with the person that he encountered there. So Philip receives this wonderful gift of this encounter. Because he remained open and obedient to what God is doing. And where God was leading him. Because of that then, Philip was in the place where God wanted him to be. He was talking to the person that God wanted him to speak to. All so that this man would come to know the wondrous good news of Jesus. And this openness, this obedience... It seems like a like a posture and a, and a lifestyle of Philip's. It's evident the whole way through this chapter, right to the very end. You see, God takes Philip to another town and clearly leads him the whole way up the coast. And we see in verse 40 that Philip travelled around preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You see, Philip is consistent in his openness and obedience, isn't he? Not only have we seen it in this chapter, but actually the next encounter we have of Philip is almost a passing comment made later on in the book of Acts when when Luke is recording some of the traveling journeys of the Apostle Paul. And we read in Acts 21, verse 8, that leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. See, clearly, when Philip arrived in Caesarea at the end of chapter 8, he had made his home there. And some commentators actually suggest that the time frame between chapter 8 and chapter 21 is about 20 years. And so we have this long life of openness and obedience. Indeed, R. Kent Hughes, who commentated on this passage, said, Philip, the deacon, remained in touch with the spirit, in touch with the word and in touch with the people, and so continued to be the touch of God to others. What a wonderful way to capture Philip's life. This this long life lived with openness and obedience. And, and surely there's a direct link with our lives here. Goodness wouldn't we love that quote of Hughes's to be said of us. When we are living an open and obedient life to God, we will be where he wants us to be, with, with the people he wants us to be with. And therefore we will see him move in remarkable ways because he's called us to be there. And he is on the move. I pray that this this is or this would be the experience that many of us are knowing right now. Would we know the same level of, of God at work amongst us and through us and in our community? Yet there may be some of us who can recall a time when we witnessed God at work in this way in the past. But, but as we reflect, we realize we've drifted from that posture. Our lives aren't as marked by openness and obedience as they once were. And so we must be willing to come before God and to honestly ask why this has changed. What, is, what has distracted us from him that, that seemed to be important and pressing and significant, but actually that those things have prevented us from remaining open and obedient to the way God would have us live. And please hear me, I, I realise how direct that question sounds probably uncomfortable for many of us, and I'm very aware of my own need to do that heart-searching work. So I'm not wanting to sound unduly condemnatory here. But but rather, I believe God is seeking to show us the joy that there is when we live this out. That's what we see in Philip's example. See, when we see with such clarity how God is at work, when we see the, the joy of leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus when we see Philip's assurance and confidence in in God's word that fueled his every day, then surely God is trying to show us the way That that that, that is the way that we should live. And he's showing us through Philip's example the way we can know that is by being open and obedient and living our lives for him. And when we do, then we see the joy that Philip has. Not a Yet again, I mentioned not a happiness in our circumstances, but a joy, knowing that we are where God wants us to be. We're doing what he wants us to do. And we're seeing him move in us and through us and extending his kingdom in his world. And so may God equip us to live more open and obedient lives, lives that are so grounded in him, in his word and by his spirit, that, that we're so open, we're so obedient that every interaction takes on a greater purpose. Our, our commutes to work whenever they restart, our, our dinners around the table, our social media usage, our, our chats with our neighbours in our lockdown state, our use of time, our attitude to schoolwork. Everything we do becomes takes on a greater purpose because everything we do is an opportunity for God to be at work in and through us as we remain open and obedient to his voice. That, that seems to be part of the example of Philip. And what a great example it is that when we are open and obedient to where God is leading us, then we see him at work in remarkable ways. And to finish with this morning, maybe maybe perhaps you, you find yourself relating more to the experience of the eunuch at the beginning of this interaction. Perhaps you haven't accepted the good news of Jesus for yourself yet. Well, can I encourage you to adopt the same attitude as the eunuch has? Because we see him also being open and obedient. Firstly, we see him being open to God's word. You see, the eunuch is is reading the Bible before he believes its message. But the Bible is where God's message is found. And so if you want to know more about God, more about the good news of Jesus, then look at his word. Perhaps it would be helpful for you to, to start reading through the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one, and so maybe it's a good place to start that journey. But however you begin... Be open to God's word. Secondly, the eunuch is open to the help of others. Isn't his response to Philip's question so honest and real? When when Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading, the eunuch in verse 31 replies, How can I, he says, unless someone explains it to me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, he was willing to admit that he had questions. And he was also willing to ask for guidance from those who seemed to be further along the road of faith than he was. And it's another wonderful example to follow. So if you you find yourself in a similar place, maybe wanting to know more, but but not knowing where to start or or what certain sections of the Bible mean, then please ask. There are many of us who would love the opportunity to to work through some of those questions with you. I'm not promising quick and easy answers, but we would love to help in any way that we could. You see, because as a result of... The eunuch's openness, openness to God's word, openness to the help of others, then the eunuch is obedient. Obviously, as Philip has been sharing the good news of Jesus, he's he's been talking about Jesus's command at the end of Matthew that Jesus's followers would make disciples and baptize them. Peter had also mentioned this at the end of his speech in Acts 2 verse 38, that the response was repent and be baptized. And so in obedience, the the eunuch makes the whole travelling caravan stop so that he can be baptised in this body of water by the side of the road. It's a wonderful step of obedience. And so the eunuch hears the good message of Jesus and then submits his life to Jesus' teaching. But I love the final piece of information that we're given about the eunuch. In verse 39, the very end of verse 39, after the Spirit takes Philip away, the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. See, that's the response to the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. It leads to joy. That's the life that God calls us to. That's the life that obedience leads to. It leads to joy. Endless joy as as we live in his presence every day, as we await an eternity with him where we will know and experience unhindered joy in his presence. And so the eunuch is open and obedient too. In this account, we we see these examples of what it means to be open and obedient. Both to those who don't know Jesus yet, to be open to his word, to his call on your life, to salvation by faith. And for those who do know Jesus, know him as your Lord and your saviour, well then let's be open to his leading, let's be obedient to his direction. And wherever we do that, whenever we do that, We see him receiving all the glory that's due his name and we see people living lives of obedient joy. See, God is on the move and he's calling us as his followers to be open and obedient. Open to where he leads us, open to what he's teaching us and obedient to go. Maybe with questions, but we go regardless because we know that he is on the move and he is calling us to to follow in his steps. And I'm not promising, just like Acts shows, I'm not promising that that will lead to happiness in the world's measure. But what it will lead to is lasting joy in the presence of our Father. And so may this message encourage us this morning as we reflect on our lives, Maybe rightly and appropriately we come to repent of those things that we have carried for too long that have distracted us from being open and obedient to where we know God is calling. And as we lay those things down, may we pick up his joyful mantle. May we run with him to where he would lead us, to where he is at work, so that we see his kingdom extend. Because Jesus is on the move. He is building his church. We, as his witnesses, will receive power. And we will be his witnesses to the end of the earth. So let's go and do as he's called us to. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, oh God, we thank you for your wonderful word. God, may it be more precious to us than gold, may it be sweeter than honey. God, as, it, as you encourage us through your word to, to live our lives in the way that you call us to, in the way that would that would show you to be Lord and King of our lives, Father, uh, we recognise the joy that there is in that calling, and Father, we recognise that the sometimes difficult task of, of repenting and laying down the things that hold us back. God, would you give us strength? Would you give us a, a proper perspective on where you are calling us and on what you are doing so that those things that have distracted us, they just fade? Because there is nothing greater than following in the footsteps of Jesus and then leading others to him. And God, I pray for those who are watching, listening, who maybe haven't submitted their lives to you yet, haven't responded to your good news yet, Father, I pray that you would help help us to be open and obedient too, open to your word, open to asking for the help of others further along the journey of faith than we are. And may that, Father, we pray, may that lead to obedience as we respond to your call to repent, to believe, to be baptized, to live our lives in joyful obedience of you. So come, we pray, Father. May you indeed receive all the glory that is due your name. And we ask all of these things in that wonderful name, that saving name. Amen. Amen.